Uh, last week, uh, we started our Advent series. Advent's a time when we look back at the birth of Jesus, but it's also a time where we look forward to his second coming. And so as we await Christ's second coming, it makes us similar to the Old Testament believers because they were waiting for a Messiah. And they had all these prophecies of what Jesus would look like when he would come. I mean, think about it. In Isaiah chapter 7, uh, he's called Emmanuel. He would be God with us. He'd be born of a virgin. Isaiah chapter 9, he would come as a child. He'd have all these names like Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah 53, he'd be a suffering servant. Zechariah 9, he'd come in riding on a donkey like Palm Sunday. Zechariah 11, he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Micah chapter 5, he'd be born in Bethlehem. In Malachi chapter 4, there'd be someone who would precede him like Elijah, John the Baptist. So all these were pictures that God's people had in the Old Testament of what he would look like. And when life was going down the tubes for them, they could grab onto these pictures. They could look at them in the lockets of their heart and they could wait for the Messiah to come. And we too, we've been given pictures of what it will like, what it will be like when Jesus comes a second time, a final time. And that's what Revelation is really all about. It's about giving us these pictures to put in the lockets of our hearts to hold on to when we don't have anything else. And last week, that picture was of a coming king. Remember Revelation uh, chapter 19, that there would be a king who would come. He'd be the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He'd have an unnamed name. He would be called faithful and true. He'd be called the word of God. He'd have this army behind him who had no battle gear. They had no weapons, but who would be victorious because the king, the one on the white horse that, they would, that he would fight on their behalf. That text, Revelation chapter 19 of this coming king is a moving text. And if you haven't looked at it, let me encourage you to look at it for your own sake as you await Christmas. And this week, our picture is different. We had a king last week. Have, we have a reunion this week from chapter 7 of Revelation. So let's read verses 9 through 17 together. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The word of the Lord. So you see a reunion of sorts here, don't you? 
So what comes to mind when you think of a reunion? For me, it's Muhlenberg County. I don't know if you know where Muhlenberg County is, but it's in western Kentucky. My grandparents on my mom's side were there, and unlike my dad's side of the family that has all these different denominations represented, my mom's family is uh, unidenominational, let's say. Uh, They are all Baptists. And when you go to Muhlenberg County, to my, 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 the reunion there, um, there were a lot of people. My grandmother was one of nine, and she had eight siblings. Most of those eight siblings lived in Muhlenberg County or nearby Owensboro. So it was fairly easy for them to gather all in one place together. We were some of the very few out-of-towners, and we would come down from northern Kentucky, and I remember going to Muhlenberg County. It would be like a different world there. I mean, the reunion was on a farm. They had deep southern accents. I mean, I'm from a place called Florence, where you, the only thing anybody knows is says, uh, the water tower says Florence, y'all. Well, let me tell you something. Nobody in Florence says y'all. Everybody in Muhlenberg County says y'all. All the men at these reunions, they wore overalls. Whether you were 8 or 88, you wore overalls. We ate things like turnip greens and fried green tomatoes. We had this thing called Jello salad. Don't know if you ever heard of Jello salad. It's just Jello with fruit in it. Jello salad. It was a real trip. But the thing I noticed more than the overalls, more than food, more than southern accents, was watching my grandparents. See, when I see my grandparents there, they seem more alive in that setting than I had ever seen them before. They loved going home. They loved going back to Muhlenberg County. They gave up a lot when they moved away that couldn't be quantified. Things like belonging and familiarity. And all these gatherings, they were called family reunions, but we all long for maybe not family reunions, but a place of belonging, a, a, a place where we are loved and known with no qualifications, a place that won't reject us when we're at our worst, a place uh, that, 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 will be, that will look after us when the bottom falls out. A place that isn't overly impressed with our accomplishments. And that's why John gives us the picture of a reunion here in Revelation chapter 7. And so what I want to show us today is what I want us to look at is who is at the reunion and what's the reunion about? Do you see who's at the reunion? Look at verse 9. In verse 9, we see that People from every nation. You have all those other things listed underneath of it of subsets of every nation. And this Greek word of the New Testament, this word for nation is the word ethnos. It's a word where we get ethnicity. And ethnicity, it's a, it's, it's a group of people who are united by a common, a common culture. And so when you get to heaven, it's going to be different than most of our family reunions where everyone looks roughly alike. When you show up at this reunion, it's going to be the most diverse room of people you've ever been in in your life. Maybe you're sitting there, you're like, come on, Marsh. This this whole idea of diversity, this is a modern fascination. You're reading the world's desire for diversity back into the text. Well, am I? I mean, think about the Old Testament. When Abraham was called in Genesis chapter 12, he was called to bless all the nations. Moses was a Jew and he married an African, Zipporah. Naaman was a Syrian king who became a believer in Israel's God. 
Ruth was a Moabite and part of the covenant family. And Jesus comes on the scene and he offers eternal life to a Samaritan woman. He exercised a, a, a demon out of a Syrophoenician woman's daughter. In Acts chapter 2, you have the Holy Spirit come down on a wildly diverse crowd. If you read Acts from cover to cover, from Acts 1 to Acts 28, you'll see that the, the gospel spread from Jerusalem in Acts 1 to all around the Mediterranean Sea by Acts 28. Now, I can keep going, but suffice it to say that the Bible is not a nationalistic document. God has no nation. He has no culture that he considers to be the best. See, God doesn't play favorites. We might. He doesn't. And because we play favorites, we're always wrapping the cross in our flag. People have been doing this for all of time, but it won't be forever that way. See, there's coming a day when the gospel is going to shatter all man-made barriers of race and ethnicity. There's coming a day when we will be unified. The kind of belonging we've always wanted will happen because the cross has torn down the dividing wall of hostility that exists between cultures. And harmony will be achieved. It will be achieved at last because we'll all be united around Christ's table. So why not start experiencing this now? <laughs> I mean, one of the great things about Lexington is that it is a diverse city. Now, there are other cities that are much more diverse, but Lexington is far more diverse than most of the rest of our state. I did a little research, and I found out that today our population in Fayette County is 69% white, non-Hispanic. In 1990, just 33 years ago, it was 84%. That means that proportionately, there are twice as many minorities in our city today than there were 33 years ago. So things have changed. Now, a lot of that's reflective of what's going on in our country at large, but some of that's reflective of what's going on at UK. So what an opportunity. I mean, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, we can now begin to experience what's going to be the case in Revelation chapter 7 here today in our city. So why not? That's who's going to be at the table. That's who's going to be at the reunion. It's going to be a wildly diverse crowd. But notice another thing. These are not just a group of diverse people gathered for the sake of diversity. They're unified by something. You see what they're unified by? They're unified by their clothes. Look at verse 13. Verse 13, they're clothed in white robes. In verse 14, these robes have been made white by washing them in the blood of the Lamb. So this diverse group, they're all wearing the same thing. Their ethnicity has not been abolished in order to achieve some kind of unity. Rather, the unity is achieved by what they are wearing, the robes that have been cleansed. And these white robes, they represent two things. One is that it represents victory. When, uh, when, when a battle had been won and soldiers would go to, to, to go home to where they were from and there'd be a victory celebration, they'd be wearing white robes. The second thing it symbolizes is the righteousness they had before God. See, did you see what made their robes white? It wasn't bleach. It was blood. The blood of Jesus. That's what makes them righteous. And righteousness is something we all want, don't we? How do I know that we all want righteousness? Well, look at what you hide from people. What do you hide from people? Your skeletons, right? 
We don't want to air our dirty secrets because we want to maintain this sense of okayness or enoughness before ourselves, before others, and before God. Another reason I know we want righteousness is I see how hard we strive. We strive to reach a certain weight on the scale to validate our existence so that we'll be okay, so that we'll be enough. We work really hard to produce children, others see as successes so that we'll be okay, so that we'll be enough. We try to stay up to date with all the markers of what it means to be a good conservative or a good liberal so that we'll be okay, so that we'll be enough. See, all cultures, all ethnicities are striving after this righteousness, albeit in different ways. It's part of the human condition that we hide and that we strive. But notice how you get righteousness in our passage. It's not through hiding. It's not through striving. It's through the blood. That doesn't make sense at first blush, does it? I mean, things that don't become white, things don't become white with blood, do they? They become red. In fact, blood often stains, not cleanses, unless it's the blood of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he, the Father, made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus became sin, our sin, because he had none of his own, and our sin is what made him eligible for the first time for God's wrath, and that meant that his blood had to be spilt. Why? So that you and I could be okay. (laughs) So that you and I could be enough. So that you and I could be righteous. So that we don't have to hide anymore. We don't have to strive. All we have to do is rest. And one day, we're going to sit in the most culturally, ethnically diverse room you can imagine. But you're only going to see one outfit. You're only going to see white robes. And brothers and sisters, this isn't a toga party. (laughs) This is a reunion. And this is a reunion where you will sing. That's what's going to be happening at the reunion. You see in verses 10 to 12, they're worshiping the king. See, the main activity taking place isn't telling stories of days gone by. They're not playing cornhole. It's worship. Look at verses, verse 10 through 12. It says the, the, first line, the, first, the first line of their first song says, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The second stanza follows that up and says, Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever. It's a beautiful two stanzas song, isn't it? It's worship. See, worship is the one thing we do now that we'll do for all eternity. But think about all the Christian things that you do now. The explicitly Christian things. Things like evangelism. Well, there's no need for it at the reunion. Evangelism will be complete. The only reason we do evangelism now is because worship is incomplete. Think about the other things we do. Think about reading the Bible or doing theology. There's no need for it at this reunion. See, the the, the one that we encounter through his word, we will be with face to face. We're not going to have to do any more theological thinking because we will have the object of our studies before our very eyes. See, worship is the activity of earth that will endure into heaven. 
This is why I often say that if you have one hour a week to give church, that you should come to corporate worship. And this week I read this great line about what corporate worship is. And this writer says, corporate worship is an oasis for our parched souls under the beating sun of life. Isn't that beautiful? Corporate worship is an oasis for our parched souls under the beating sun of life. I think that's right. I mean, right here, right here in corporate worship, you have all the means of grace. He's spread out this glorious meal for us. He's given us the word and baptism and communion and fellowship with one another. And it's all distilled down into Sunday mornings. You might leave and say, what difference does that really make in my life? That's a fair question. Well, I would ask you the question, what difference will lunch make in your life today? I mean, lunch is part of what God is using to keep you alive. And so corporate worship is part of what God gives us to keep our joy alive. Now, others of you might say, now, Marsh, all of, the, all of life is worship, isn't it? No matter what you should do, you do it as unto the Lord, and you're right. You do need to get into the Word daily. I don't disagree with any of that, but look what worship is in heaven. It's singing to God with His people. You can't do what is happening in heaven by yourself. <laughs> it won't be just you and Jesus at this reunion. And that's why Sunday mornings are a foretaste of what is to come. That's what they're doing there. But there's something else happening at the reunion. You see it in verses 16 and 17. Their pain's being terminated. There's no more hunger, no more thirst, no more being exposed to the heat of the sun. And best of all, verse 17, no more tears. See, here's the thing about family reunions, family gatherings, let's say, right? You've just had some. you got some coming up. Think about what happens. You might love your families, but there's always pain there. You won't just see it. You got someone who doesn't show up. They've been estranged, right? Nobody talks about it. But there's pain there. There, the same person flies off the handle that always flies off the handle. Same person picks a political fight that always picks a political fight sitting around the table. Somebody drinks too much, again. Somebody complains about the food. But when you get to this reunion, the one in Revelation chapter 7, none of those things will take place. Everyone is amply supplied with everything they need. And more than that, there's not going to be any tears. No tears. Talked to a friend this week, an old friend, in fact, my college roommate for a couple years. His dad's passed in the last year, and I, it's been almost a year. He died right after Christmas last year, and I said, brother, how are you doing? And uh, he said, man, I cry about my dad at the weirdest of times. He was like, I was at my nephew's football game a couple weeks ago, and I just cried because I knew my dad would love to have watched him play. But when you get to this reunion, there will be no more tears. There's no, going to be no more involuntary moments that happen that bring you to tears that you weren't expecting. 
And I can't promise you that Jesus is going to remove from you the tears from your life now. But I can promise there is coming a day where you will no longer hurt because he will have wiped away your tears. It's a glorious picture, isn't it? Revelation chapter 7. Isn't this the kind of reunion that you really want to attend? No more suffering, no more hiding, no more striving, lots of worship and diversity and unity and belonging and harmony is going to happen at this reunion. Uh, Audrey, uh, our middle child, she goes to a school and uh, they've been in this building project for the last several months. And uh, we get a weekly email. You know, one of the things they don't tell you when your kids get older, it's like, man, when the kids were little, I didn't get any emails from anybody. I mean, I just, they were just in my house. No one took care of them except me and their grandparents. That was about it. And we paid some, we paid some of you that have grown up now, we paid you an exorbitant amount of money that you might come over and watch them and give us a break. That's it. There's nothing to keep track of. Just make them doctor's appointments. And that's about it. When they get older, it's just email central. It's like, man, I already get a ton of email. And now that they're all older and involved in this stuff, there's just so many emails. And every week I get an email of a building update. I open it up a few times. I've done opening it up. I don't open it up anymore because they've just shown me a picture of a slab of concrete. And I'm like, I don't care about this slab of concrete. They're, they're building this new school and I, this new building on the, on the property. It didn't make any sense to me. Then they were putting up walls on this piece of concrete. I'm like, that still doesn't make any sense to me. And so one day I got so fed up, I was like, I want to know what this building's going to look like. So I looked back at other emails I had not opened up, and I found the renderings that they were using to try to get more money out of me. And when I opened them up, I, I began to piece together, oh, that's what that slab of concrete's going to look like someday. That's what those walls are going to be like someday. I needed to see the whole picture in order for me to connect the piece by piece of the project. See, brothers and sisters, what you're being shown here in Revelation chapter 7 is the end picture. This is the completed project. The whole work that God has been, is, and will continue to do is aimed at this outcome. He's preparing for himself a diverse people who've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, who worship him with all their might, and they do so because all of their suffering has been put away and their wounds have been healed. That's the completed picture. That's what Christmas is aiming towards. Is this right here. And brother, sister, may this picture hold out for you the hope you need of real belonging, real purpose this Christmas season. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us these pictures. Thank you for not just explaining the details of this, but engaging our imaginations. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us by the power of your spirit, put this picture of this family reunion to the locket of our hearts and hold on to it and open up that locket when we need it. We pray these things in your name. Amen.